All right, second service, have a seat, man. It's great to see you guys here today on Labor Day weekend, man, showing up. Hope you have a great uh, Sunday today and perhaps a day off tomorrow. I want to welcome those of you on our live stream. Appreciate you guys being here with us today as well. And, uh, man, it's really great to have you if you're a visitor to Paul Land. Welcome to this place, man. It's a big weekend. College football started this weekend, so... Uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff, man. I won't say anything about anybody that lost or won, but uh, my wife and I were pretty fired up. We watched Colorado and TCU was kind of fun. So if you're a TCU fan, sorry about that. But uh, it's always uh, fun to get that going. And uh, man, if you want to get on something that God's doing, I want to encourage you to come to our, our Wednesday night Bible studies. They started last Wednesday night at six. We'll be doing them this Wednesday night at six. Our women, men, women, children, youth, Basically, God just blew up the whole thing last Wednesday night. We ran out of pretty much chairs on all of our youth facilities, our, and uh, uh, our men had a bunch of guys, and then our women, I was over here helping. My wife said, can you kind of come over here and help, make sure everything works great? So I was over here, and uh, man, we're like, we started running out of, we ran out of books, we ran out of chairs, we ran out of tables, we started running out of food all at the same time. They're like, can you do something about this? I was like, no. I can't, and, but uh, we did set up a bunch more tables and chairs, and we did get more books in. So if you didn't get a book, you'd like a book, we've got more of those with the connection, same thing going for men. So we got some more in today. You can pick one of those up on your way out. Six o'clock on Wednesday night, I encourage you to be here. We're starting a new series next week called Rooted, and uh, for all of our community life groups, they're going to be doing a book by the same name, Rooted, How to Connect with God and Your Purpose in Life. It's a great book. Covers a number of different topics. We'll be preaching on them, as well as covering in our small groups, like small groups like who God is, how God speaks, different things like that. It's got a daily reading, devotional, and uh, so you can get one of these books if you'd like. We've got about 25 small groups going to be starting next Sunday, so I encourage you to uh, you can go on the little scan code on your seat there and to pick a small group and get in it. If you don't want to pick one that's already going, you can start one yourself. Just try to get together with some people in community to answer the questions in the book. Uh, ought to be a great, a great study starts next Sunday. Well, if you've got your Bible, open it up to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7, verse 9. We're in a series called What If, studying the life of Gideon. And uh, today we're doing what if, what if God is for you? And what if God is really for you? Not against you, but he's for you. What if God is on your side? What if God desires to have a relationship with you? What if God wants to work in your life to do something to be a blessing to other people? What if God is actually for you, right? And we started this series on Gideon a number of weeks ago, and the sermon was at that time, what if God wants to use you? What if God wants to use you to be a blessing to somebody else? If God wants to use your gifts and your talents to be an encouragement or a blessing to someone else, because God has a way of using the most unlikely people. And if you allow God to use you, what will happen? This is how God works. He asks us to join him. He asks us to come alongside and serve him. And when you do, you come to know God greater in the process because God wants to know you. He wants to use you because God is on your side. So when it comes to as a Christian, you have to make a decision. So this is for all the believers in the room. You kind of have to make a decision. You know, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. And am I going to live my life doing something for God? Or am I going to let God do what he wants through me? Am I going to live my life doing something for God? Or am I going to allow God to do something through me? Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do something for God. And most people, most Christians, they kind of pick the first one. Well, I'm going to do some things for God. And there's a number of things that God wants us to do. God wants you to go to church. God wants you to read the Bible. God wants you to worship. But we kind of make decisions based upon what I'm going to do things for God because that keeps you in control. 
right? That's under your own power. And you can do things for God and you can do some pretty big things for God and you can accomplish some great things. But if you only do things for God, you'll rarely see God do the supernatural. And when I say supernatural, I'm not talking about something just crazy out there, but I'm just talking about something that only God can do. You'll never see that because, well, when you do things for God, it's you're still in control. It's still your power. And most people like that because they like to keep things under control. The other side of that is allowing God to do whatever he wants through you requires something different. And that requires this necessary brokenness in your life, this, this necessary weakness that you have to come to a point where you surrender your will and you say, God, I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. That's a completely different thing. Whatever you want me to do, God, that's what I'm going to do. And it might be something small or it might be something big. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. It requires for you to have a surrender. You give control over to God instead of you doing it yourself. And should you choose to do that, dude, there are going to be some people that don't like that because God's going to ask you to do some things that other people aren't going to like, whether people you know, people in your family, because God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And he'll ask us to do things that other people just won't understand why you did that, right? So like when I got called into the ministry, I used to work for a bank. I lived in Enid, Oklahoma. I worked for the Federal Land Bank. I'd been there about five years. I really liked it. It was a great career. I loved my job. I really liked working there. And in the midst of that, I was going to church, and God called me into the ministry. My wife and I, we felt like God spoke to us on one Sunday and called us into the ministry, and we're like, what are we going to do with that, man? And uh, so we decided I needed to go to seminary. I needed to get some education. So it was in the middle of summer, and we said, well, if we're going to do that, you know, I'm going to have to sell our house. We owned our own house. And they were like, man, I don't know if we, we were all stressed out about it. So we decided, we put a little for sale sign up in our front yard. Sunday evening, we are convicted about it. We put this little for sale sign up by owner in our front yard. Well, I live in a cul-de-sac. Nobody ever drove by our street. But that particular night, as the providence of God would have it, the boss that I worked for, he had a bird dog and it escaped. It goes running loose. He drives around looking for it, drives down my street in my subdivision, down my cul-de-sac, sees a for sale sign in my front yard. So I go to church, and, I mean, I go to work the next day thinking nothing of it, and all at once the guy's like, dude, I need to talk to you. Well, I really like this guy. I really respected him, but I was kind of scared of him all at the same time. So I'm like, okay. So I go in there and talk to him. How come your house is for sale? I said, well, my, my wife and I feel like God's called us into the ministry, and uh, we're going to go down to Dallas and go to seminary and get, get some education. He says, man, do you have a job down there? I said, nope. He said, you got a place to stay down there? I said, nope. He said, you got any money? I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he says this to me that's the most stupid idea I've ever heard in my life I'm just going to say that wasn't very encouraging when he said that this guy, and I, this guy went, we went to church together I respected this guy that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard well it wasn't necessarily the greatest idea I'd ever come up with but I hadn't come up with it right this is what happens when you start to follow God. So this is how it works. I call it the rule of the 300. God asked Gideon to take on 135,000 Midianites with 300 troops. That does not sound like a very good idea. And it wasn't his idea. God asked him to do it. And in weakness and brokenness, he went out and did it. So this is how it works. When you in weakness and brokenness and surrender to God and God asks you to do something and you go do it even though you can't do it and God does the impossible through you because when you in weakness do what God asks you to do, it releases a power 
for God to do what he called you to do. And you come to see this God in a whole new way because you've never experienced a power like that. You've never seen God come through for you. Like God delights in doing the impossible for people, but the only way you'll ever see God to do the impossible is if he puts you in an impossible situation. And the only way you can get there is you to surrender unto God and allow God to do that in your life. So I want to show this to you. Fascinating passage of scripture. This is Judges chapter 7, verse 9. All right? It goes like this. That night, the Lord said to him. So this is the Lord speaking. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and attack the camp, for I've handed it over to you. Now, anytime you see a phrase like that night, you're like, well, what happened that day that made this night such a big deal? And that particular day was the day that God said to Gideon, you've got too many troops. Gideon had 32,000 troops. God said, you got too many. If they're afraid, if anybody's afraid, send them home. And 22,000 of his troops went to the house. Now he's left with, you know, 22,000 left. He's got 10,000 left. And God says, dude, you still got too many. Send them down there to the water to get something to drink. So they go down to the water, and then he said, you know, some of them got down on, their, on all fours, and they were lapping, they were, they were drinking, sticking their face in it, and some of them were lapping like a dog, right? They were like, got down on one knee, and they were scooping it up like this and lapping like a dog, and there's only 300 lappers. God sends all the kneelers home, so you're going you're gonna to do it with 300 lappers. Now, sometimes people like to read that passage of Scripture and say, well, those 300 were the best of the best. They were the best because when they got down to drink like this, they got down on one knee and they were, they were drinking their water, but they were looking, man. They were always looking around for the enemy. They had their weapon close by, by their side and, and they, were the, they were the best of the best. But I got to thinking about it. I thought probably what really happened is Gideon said, go down there and get a drink. And all the young guys just went down there, jumped down on their stomach, and started drinking water. All the old dudes... We're like, man, if I get down like that, I'll never be able to get back up. <laughs> the best I can do, man, I can just get down here like this and drink like all I got. And what Gideon wound up with was the old people, like 300 of the old dudes. Gideon's like, oh, no, I don't even have 300 good soldiers. All I have are the weakest of the bunch. He's got 300, and on that very night, God says to him, the Lord said to him, get up and attack the camp, for I've handed it over to you. And you'd like to think that Gideon being a big hero, the very next passage of scripture would be, Gideon went down there and attacked him. But guess what? He didn't go down there and attack him. Scripture says that God says something that's totally unexpected. If you're reading the story, it says in verse 10, but if you're afraid, God says, but if you're afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pure your servant, listen to what they say, and then you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. If you're afraid, you're like, Gideon, afraid? Yes. Gideon's afraid. That dude has been afraid from the very get-go. If you remember the story, it began with what? Midian crushing out wheat in a wine press. Why is it? Because it tells us in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, that he was afraid of the Midianites. They might see him, so he was beating out his wheat in a wine press so they wouldn't get him. Why is that? Because he was afraid. Now, I'm not saying that's bad for him to be afraid. Cindy and I and my wife were talking about it. We're like, you know, if it had been up there on top of the hill threshing out his wheat, the Midianites probably would have seen him and, and come taking all his stuff. He was down there in the wheat press grinding it out because he's trying to provide for his family. God cares about that kind of stuff. He likes to use people that are out there working. He's down there grinding it out in the wheat press, right? 
which is not a bad thing. The Lord shows up. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, well, you know, if the Lord's with us, why is all this happening? Why are we being oppressed by the Midianites for seven years? Where's all the miracles that God was telling our father? And, 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 and God's like, dude, I'm sending you. I want you to go do something about it. And he's like, me? I'm too weak. I'm the, I'm the youngest in my tribe. I got the weakest tribe. I could never do that. And God says, look, man, I'll be with you. You'll defeat the Midianites as if they were by one person. But Gideon is starting to figure out this angel of the Lord might be the Lord speaking to him, but he's, he needs a little confirmation. Dude, God, if this is really you, would you stick around long enough for me to make you an offering? And the angel of the Lord says, I'll wait. He runs home, kills a goat, cooks a huge meal, brings it back to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, put it on that rock. He puts it on the rock. And the angel of the Lord touches it with his tip of his staff. And when he does, fire comes up out of the rock and consumes it. And the angel of the Lord disappears back up into heaven. Now, dude, if you saw that, you'd be like, I'm following this guy anywhere. I'm going to do whatever he told me to do because, because he saw that, right? He experienced God in a whole new way in that moment. He built an altar and began to worship him right there. He's like, let's go. What do you want me to do, God? God says, tear down your dad's altar. So the next day, the very next night, Gideon goes and tears down his dad's altar to Baal. But check this out. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Go tear down the altar to Baal. Oh, man, I'm too afraid to do that during the day. Once again, nothing wrong with being afraid, right? Like maybe if he tried to tear it down during the day, the townspeople would have stopped him. This is just Gideon, man. He's afraid. And then the, 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 they get attacked by the Midianites again. He blows the trumpet. He gets 32,000 people. He gets filled with the Spirit. 32,000 people that come around him are like, dude, let's go. We got 32,000 people. And then they get a scouting report about the Midianites, and there's 135,000 of them. And all at once, Gideon's like, dude, God, are you sure you told me to do this? I'm going to put out a fleece. I know you told me to do this, but can you do it? And he puts out this fleece. Why? Because, man, he's just not sure, right? And he puts out the fleece. If the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, sure enough, the next morning, God answers his question. He goes, that was really good, God, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going I'm to put it out there, and this time if the ground is wet and the Fleece is dry, and the next morning, exactly like he said it. It's all the way you got Gideon. You're like, dude, let's go. That very night, God says to him, Lord said to him, get up and attack the camp, for I've handed it over to you. But if you're afraid, God says, to attack the camp, if you still got fear in your life, go down with your servant, listen to what they say, that's a key word, and then you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went down with Porah, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Verse 12, now the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the Ketamites had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were as numerable as the sand on the seashore. Not sure there's anything encouraging about that. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, oh, that's a key word. I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. 
Here comes the interpretation. His friend answered, that is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. What was it God said he was going to do? Verse 9, the Lord said to him, go up and attack the camp, for I have handed it over to you. Gideon gets the interpretation of this dream. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to you. All at once Gideon realized that they're just as scared of him as he is of them and that God is going to do exactly what God said he was going to do. When Gideon heard the account of the dream, verse 15, and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israel's camp and said, get up for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. As soon as he heard it, he bowed in worship. Now, worship is simply recognizing the greatness of God and just somehow trying to give him what he is due. It's just understanding the greatness of God and some, it's just a natural reflection when you see the greatness of God to want to worship him. If you've got a problem with worship, it's because you really don't understand the greatness of God. When you get a glimpse of the greatness of God, our natural response is to want to, to, want to worship. So I've got a, my youngest grandson, he's two years old, his name is Mace Brown, right around two years old. And, and man, as a grandparent, having a two-year-old is awesome. And here's the reason, because everything to a two-year-old is new. It's like they've never seen it before. So like they never experienced it before. So send them down a slide. They've never been down a slide before. First time they go down, they're like, and you're like oh, this is going to be fun. Right? They're terrified of that. Or they see like a, they see a bird fly. It's the first time they've ever seen it. They're like, look at that. That's a bird dude right there. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff like that. You know, it's just you see it for the first time. It's hilarious. It's the first time. Well, the other day, my wife was making oatmeal raisin cookies. And my wife can make a great oatmeal raisin cookie, right? And particularly when they're hot and they come out of the oven, they're just a little bit cool. Those things are just unbelievably good. And my wife was making some the other day. And so I was in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen doing quality control. All right. Make sure things turned out like they were supposed to. And they, they came out and it was like the perfect timing. They were, they were hot, but not too hot. And uh, so I was in there thinking how great these things were. And Maze was in there with us. So my wife decides to give Maze one of the oatmeal cookies. Like, hey, you want an oatmeal cookie? So he's sitting there. He gets this thing. He just takes one bite of it. Just looks over at my wife. He's like, I was like, worship right there. I don't know how you did that, but this thing is awesome. Just a natural reaction, just worship. I think Gideon looked over at God when he heard that dream. He's like, you got me. You care about me. You see me. You're for me. You want me to succeed. You're going to do what you said you were going to do. You're going to do it. I doubted you, but you just said you're going to do. I got you. Let's go, right? Just worship. What's interesting about this passage of Scripture is Gideon didn't ask for it. God just initiated it. God just stepped into his life and said, bro, if you're afraid, I want to give you some encouragement, man. Just go down to that camp. Why is that? Because that's the same way we are, man. No matter how much stuff we see God do in our life, we're always like, I don't know if he's going to come through this time. 
What if he doesn't come through this time? It's like we need constant assurance that God is who God said he is and he's going to do it. And you know how he does it in our life? Number one way God assures us, man, is through his word. If you want to just be encouraged in your walk with Jesus, you've just got to spend time in his word because his word is living and active. God actually speaks to you through his word, man. And so that's why we do Bible studies on Wednesday night. That's why we're doing the Rooted series. Maybe you're here today and you're like, dude, I just have a hard time reading the Bible. I don't even know where to start. Dude, this will help. It's got a daily devotion. It's got a place to read. It's all about the Bible and how you can come to know God. Like, dude, I just need to, I don't know how to, I need some help with my walk. Here's a way to, here's a way to help you with your walk. All right? We're just trying to help you with your walk. Because one of the number one gay ways God works in his life, it's just through his Bible, his word. When you spend time in it, he just encourages your faith. The second way he does, you know how he does it? Through people. God uses people to encourage other people. In those days you get up and you're like, I think I should call so-and-so. You know what you should do? You should call them and encourage them. Right? Before you leave today, believers, you should encourage somebody. Right? Because that's what we're called to do is to encourage one another. You know? And God has a way of working in supernatural timing when you do that. Like I was studying this passage of Scripture I was like going, dude, Gideon was afraid, and Gideon needed some encouragement, and he didn't even ask for it. God just provided it for him in the most unusual way, right? Like you think about this. Gideon says, God says, go down to that camp and listen to what they got to say. He goes down to a camp, 135,000 people down there. And the minute he goes down there, the very tent that he goes up to, the dude's like, I had a dream last night. A loaf of barley bread was coming down the hill and ran into my tent. And knocked it over. Now, barley would be a perfect example of Gideon because barley was like the lowest kind of wheat. It was like the lowest kind of grain possible. People would grow it, not necessarily to eat it themselves, but to feed their animals with it. All right? So if you've got, if you're eating barley, it's because you don't have any money. You're the poorest of the poor. This was the perfect example of Israel under the Midianites and Gideon, the weakness of Gideon, a loaf of barley bread because nobody's eating barley bread. It's a perfect representation about barley. Now, if a loaf of bread comes down the hill, it's a classic dream, isn't it? If a loaf of bread comes down the hill, ain't nobody worrying about it knocking down their tent. Like if it's going to knock down, what kind of tent you got, bro? You better read the Walmart instructions again if it's going to knock down your tent. If a loaf of bread is going to knock down your tent, ain't nobody worried about a loaf of bread knocking down a tent any more than the Midianites were worried about the Israelites. Even Gideon's 32,000 troops, do they had 135,000 troops plus a bunch of camels, and they had oppressed Israel for seven years. They had beat them like a drum for seven years in a row. They weren't too worried Probably what happened to TCU, <laughs> 1 and 11, ain't going to beat us this year. Nobody's worried about a loaf of barley bread knocking over your tent, man. But this dude was. And the interpretation of the dream was that that, is, that that hit that tent, it just didn't knock it over, it turned it upside down. And the interpretation is it's nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. What's the odds of the dude walking down there and that's the tent that he goes to? Why? Because God is in the business and wanting to encourage you. I was studying this passage of scripture Friday night, just thinking about that. And while I was studying it, my wife gets an email from a lady that was in her Bible study last Wednesday night. She writes, I just want to encourage you. It's going to be good. 
I'm like, what are the odds of that? This is just how God works. When you just decide, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do, you'll be amazed how God begins to supernaturally work in your life. You just see God doing stuff, right? And the moment, here's what Gideon recognized. Dude, the enemy is not near as bad as I thought they were. They're, they're, they're as much afraid of me as I'm afraid of them. And as a believer, this is the way it is for you. Can I just tell you, the enemy is not as bad as you think he is. He doesn't have much power. If you're a believer in Jesus, man, don't be thinking there's some sin out there that you can't overcome. Don't be thinking there's some addiction out there that you can't stop. Don't be thinking that you're trapped in this part of life that you're in right now and it's never going to escape. The enemy doesn't have any power over you. You've got power over them as a believer in Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. You might look at your circumstances. You look at your difficulties. You look at your hardship and you say, man, this is just overwhelming to me. Man, I'm here to tell you, man, Jesus is going to see you through. He's going to lift you up. He's going to empower you. He's going to give you the ability to flourish even in the midst of your difficulties if you just trust in him. The enemy hasn't, doesn't have the power over you that you think you have. You actually, through Jesus, are the stronger one when you yield yourself unto Jesus. He hears this dream. He's fired up. He goes back up there. He tells everybody, all right, get up and go for the Lord has handed the midnight camp over to you. Verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it in the other. Watch me, he said to them, and do as I do when I come to the outpost of the camp. Do as I do when I and everyone when I and everyone with me blow our trumpets, you are to also blow your trumpets all around the, around the camp, and you will say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him went to the outpost of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, after the sentries had been stationed, they blew their trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The three companies then blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers. They held their torches in their left hand, their trumpets in their right hands and shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp and the entire Midianite army began to run and they cried out as they fled, which would have been awesome to see. When Gideon's men blew their, tr their 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the men of the whole army to turn on each other with their swords and they fled. Dude, this is like the greatest military strategy story of all time. I mean, Gideon is indeed a mighty warrior, just like God said he was going to be a mighty warrior. He came up with the most brilliant plan possible. Basically, he gave all 300 of his troops a trumpet. He gives them a pitcher, and they take a smoldering torch and stick it inside this pitcher upside down where you couldn't see it. And then he gets his whole 300 men to go all the way around the camp. So they're all in this valley down below them with their 135 and their camels as thick as locusts. They go in the, in the mountains all around him and they wait till they get completely encircled in the, all the 300. And then all at once, Gideon blows his trumpet, shatters his pitcher, and when he does, the oxygen rushes in and takes a smoldering torch and it bursts into flames. And he holds that in his other hand and he shouts out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now that phrase, a sword right there, just represents the battle. In other words, what they're saying is the battle belongs to the Lord and to Gideon who's helping. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, in those days, if you had a trumpet, you'd have a trumpet, one per division. And a division was about a thousand men 
and you'd have one torch per division, which was about a thousand men. It takes place right at the middle watch. They divide the night into three watches, four hours each time, right? So they would basically have a third of their army be on watch. They would watch for four hours, and then they'd rotate. So right at the beginning of the middle watch, you've got a third of their army that are coming back in from their outpost. The other two-thirds of the army are asleep. Right about that time, Gideon blows his trumpet, shatters his pitcher, and holds his sword in the air. So if you're part of the two-thirds of the army that's sleeping in your tent, all at once you're asleep, you hear this big crash, this big trumpet blast, you run outside your tent, and you immediately think you're completely surrounded by 300,000 men. And at that very moment, here comes a whole group of armed men walking into your camp in the middle of the night. You immediately assume they're the enemy, so you pull out your sword and start to hack your own guys to death. And basically, in the confusion, the camels go crazy. They just start killing each other. It's the most strategic, Gideon's like the most strategic plan you ever did. But in reality, it wasn't Gideon, it was the Lord. And that's what it says in verse 22. The Lord caused the men in the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. There's never any indication that any of the 300 people ever even had a sword. It wasn't the swords of the army. It was the swords of the enemy. God caused the enemy to turn on each other and completely destroy one another. And God did the impossible with 300 men. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that Paul wrote. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and it says this. Now, we, me and you, We have this treasure in clay jars so that its extraordinary power may be from God and not for us. He's talking about us, our people, in our weakness. We're like a jar of clay, but inside of us is the power of God. And when we in weakness and brokenness submit ourselves unto God, that it releases the power of God through us. It's just like they took that picture and broke it and the light of the torch came to life when our lives are broken and we simply say God I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do it enables the light of Jesus to shine out and be a blessing to other people in a way that we can never do it so when you read this particular passage of scripture after Midianites were chopping each other some of them escaped well Gideon calls up the tribe of Ephraim okay calls him up on his cell phone says hey I need you to go down there don't let them escape tribe of Indian can control the Jordan River, go down to the fords of the Jordan River, the low spot, and don't let the Midianites escape. So the Ephraimites went down there, and when the Midianites tried to escape, they captured them. At the end of the story, it says in 725, they captured Orb and Zeba. Orb means raven, Zeba means roof, wolf. They captured Orb and Zeba, the two princes of Midian, and they killed Orb at the rock of Orb and Zeba at the wine press of Zeb while they were pursuing the Midianites. All right? Now it tells us in first in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 26 that this was basically the conclusion this is when the Midianites were finally defeated when these two princes were killed. Where were they killed? At a rock and a wine press. This story begins with a rock and a wine press. God meets Gideon at a wine press. A wine press is something that you crush, that is something that's broken. You put the grapes in there 
and you smash them, right? So this is the place where Gideon is broken and submits unto the will of God for his life. And God reveals himself to him at a rock, which represents God. The story starts with a wine press and a rock. It ends at a wine press and a rock. The principle is when we in weakness allow God, when we just say, God, whatever you want me to do with my life, I'll do. It releases the power of God in our life to do the impossible. You see this exact same principle in the life of Jesus. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified. And when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he basically says, God, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, let it pass from me. I really don't want to do this thing. The sins of the world start to come on upon Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what the word Gethsemane means? It means oil press. It's at the garden where Jesus is pressed. I really don't want to do this, God. But he makes this famous statement, Luke twenty-two forty-two. but not my will be done, God but your will be done. And Jesus in the garden, he submits unto the will of the Father. He goes to the cross the next day in necessary weakness. He goes absolutely alone. All the disciples flee him. And he goes to the cross. One man takes on all the forces of hell, takes on the greatest spiritual force the world's ever seen, sin, death, hell, demons, the devil himself all come against Jesus on the cross. And he takes it all on by himself in weakness to the point that he dies on the cross. And he's buried, and he's buried in a tomb, and he's dead and buried for three days. But three days later, what happens? God comes down and rolls away the rock and the power of God is released in this world. The power to give you new life. The power to forgive your sins. The power to set you free from your addiction. The power to give you a new direction. The power to give you a second chance. Why? Because God is for you. He wants what's best for you. He comes alongside of your life. And when you then in turn come to God in weakness and brokenness and say, man, I can't do this life right here. I can't live this life. I keep hitting a dead end. I can't seem to get by. I can't do it. I need Jesus to do it. And the minute you make that confession, it releases the power of God to do the impossible to you, to forgive your sins and set you free and cause you to be born again into a different life. And then it enables you to be a blessing to other people when you surrender unto him. It's the greatest news possible. It's the rule of the 300. When you're broken and do whatever God wants you to do, it releases the power of God in your life to do the impossible. And you can experience it if you come to him with the same broken attitude. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a minute and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come back out. We're going to close out with one last song. Before we do, I want to pray for you. Because you might be in this room today and you perhaps never have given your life to Jesus Christ. You don't understand the power of God or the power of the Spirit or what God wants to do in your life. God is for you. He's provided a way. If you can just come to him and say, I can't do it anymore. I'm turning from my life and my sin. And I'm trusting in Jesus. In a moment, the power of God will be released in your life to set you free from the old way of life. Or maybe you're a believer in this room and you've been struggling in your walk with God for a long time because you've just been trying to do it yourself under your own power and all you get is what you can do under your own power, which is no real power at all. And maybe God's calling you to surrender today.
just to surrender to God. Say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you don't want me to do, I won't do. I'm just surrendering to you that your power might be released in me to empower me to live a different life. So I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those that don't know you today. God, that your Holy Spirit would work in them, that they could surrender their life to you and be born again. I pray for those who have been walking with you for a while, but they've been doing it under their own power. They've never really surrendered their life to you in a complete way, that today would be the day, even during this last song, even right now. It's in weakness, brokenness, humility, they come before you and say, God, I'm going to surrender it all to you and see what happens. I'm going to trust it all with you, that you might release your power through me, that you get the glory, and I get to go along for the ride. I pray your spirit would work, Father. You'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd stand up with me as we close out. As always, we've got people on either side that would be happy to pray with you. If you're making a decision, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Maybe you just need to come down to the front and pray. It's just an act of surrender. We've got places on either side of our stage. You can come down and pray. We want to give you that opportunity. Otherwise, we're going to take about three minutes, and we're just going to worship the greatness of God, and we'll be dismissed after that.